Uh, so the book of Exodus. This is quite a bit. Paul, your face will just be on YouTube. What? <laughs> no, you can't. It's like half your face. All right, it's Exodus chapter 5. I'm not going to spend a lot of time reading it because, as I've said, um, as, as we've been saying, as the guys who, who teach up front on Fridays, what happens is uh, these, these uh, little talks that we do, we want to keep them short and sweet. Um, and so we don't really go through everything that you see in the passage. We just go through a little bit, but we do the majority of the study on Sunday. So last week, Sunday, you would have uh, studied Exodus 5 to 6 verse 9. And then, uh, and then I do a talk on that this Sunday. Uh, I'm, we're, gonna do, we're not going to do a study this Sunday, but next week, Friday, Paul will then do it. Is Paul or is it Jared? Jared's next. So Jared's doing a talk next Friday. So that's how it works. We don't preach through everything, and I and I only really pick certain elements of the passage that I actually apply. I'm not applying the whole thing. So just so that you know that. Um, and, and I would encourage you to come on Sundays. Um, if you want to really take your Christianity really seriously, and you really, you don't just want to like hear a talk, you, you, you want to dig into what we're, what we're looking at, uh, then come on Sundays. It's a really wise idea. Uh, and, uh, and this video is going to go live on Sunday for those who can't make it in person on Sunday. Um, all right. So I'm just going to quickly do a quick recap of, uh, of what we learned. My recap is going to be a bit extensive because we only really had three people on Sunday due to Zoom being the only way of interacting and our great friend load shedding being in place. So I'm going to do a bit more of a recap than we normally do. Um, but next time we probably won't do it like this. Okay, uh, so the big thing about Exodus 5 and 6 is that you, ha you actually have to understand Exodus chapter 3 that we did a few weeks back, which was, do you remember, it was Moses at the burning bush uh, in order to understand Exodus 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 to 9. Uh, uh, from Exodus 5, verse 1 to 6, verse 9. And... And what happens in that burning bush scene is God gives Moses his name and his plan for saving people from their slavery to the Egyptians. So it's his people that he's talking about here, the Israelites. So the first thing you see in Exodus 3 is his, he gives his name. Well, that's the first thing we're pulling from the passage anyway. He says, he calls him, God calls himself, I am. Which, which kind of sounds like an answer you give when you don't know what to say, right? You know, if, if you see it, see it saw like a weird insect running around at teens, uh, and you said, Gareth, what is that? And I said, it is, uh, it is, uh, aha, it is, it is. You would just look at me like I'm strange. And you'd probably call James Frost to actually get the real answer for what that insect is, right? It's the same with God. It's like, who should I say? Who should I say is 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 in sending me to the Israelites? And God's like, I am, I am, I, I am, <laughs> I am. It sounds a little bit like a trick, right? Like not the real answer. But actually, it is a good answer. It's it's almost like it's not an answer, yet it is the perfect answer. 
Because God is saying that you can't define who I am. I'm indefinable. He's saying that you can't place God in a box, as his name proves that he is greater than anything. He is too great to be defined by something. So to put it another way, by giving us this name, he shows that he's the greatest thing in the world because everything else can be defined. All the other gods in the world can be defined, but you can't define this God. He is above time and space. His size is too big to comprehend. His ways too vast to understand. His power is too powerful. For us to even grasp. His love is too deep, too deep to fathom and his knowledge is too vast to fit into our heads. So God gives this name when Moses has been commissioned to free the Israelites and asks, and Moses asks, who should I say has sent me to the people? And God basically responds saying that he is unknowable. And they may want to know who sent you, but you can't. They can't know because I'm too great. However, just because God is unknowable, it, it doesn't mean that he can't give us things about himself that he wants us to know. And one of the things that he wants the Israelites to know is that he is faithful. So he repeats over and over in Exodus 3 that he is the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And basically what he means by that is that he was the God of each of the Israelites' forefathers. He was the God of one of their descendants, Abraham. He was the God of Abraham's child, Isaac. And he's the God of Isaac's child, Jacob. He's always been the God of them. He's always been the God of their descendants. And he's not going to stop. That's what that means. He's an unchanging, unwavering God. He's been caring for them, and they can see that by, by understanding what happened in Genesis. They know their history. They've seen what this God has done. And he's saying, guess what? The same God that was caring for them is still caring for you now, which shows something about God's character. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So although God is unknowable, he can make parts of himself known, and he's decided to show them that he's a God who never changes and is always there for them. The second thing that we get from Exodus 3 is the plan of the great I Am. So part one of the plan is to tell the people of Israel that God is going to save them. So he says in verse 16 of chapter 3 that Moses is first to tell the elders... And then the elders would be the ones to relay the message to the people. That's the first part of the plan. So Moses to go to the elders and say, listen, the great I am has met with me. We're going to free the people. And the elders then tell the rest of the people what's going on. Part one of the plan, basically the communication part. Tell everybody what's going on. Part two 
is verse 19. You can actually turn to Exodus 3 if you want, because it is helpful, I suppose, to see what's going on. And it's just like a page back in your Bibles. So if you look there at verse 19, uh, the second part of the plan is that once the elders and the Israelites know what's going on, part two is to go to Pharaoh and say, please let my people go. But what's also part of part two is God says that Pharaoh is actually going to say no. So already God's put within his plan the fact that Pharaoh will say no. And that's key to what we're going to say later on. And then part three of the plan is that God will rescue his people. So you can see from the rest of verse 19, stretching out his hand and strike, striking Egypt with all the wonders. And after this, the people of Egypt will, will actually look on the Israelites with favor. And they'll actually allow the Israelites to take their stuff, which is what you see in verse 20. So that's the plan. It's three parts. Communicate to the people, go to Pharaoh, who will actually start this whole thing off by saying no. But God will eventually save. That's the three parts. And now what happens just before Exodus 5 is part one of the plan happens. Moses goes to the Israelites and tells them that God is going to save them. And at the end of chapter 4, they, they end off worshipping. They're actually praising the Lord for what's going on. But then we get to our passage. And Moses and Aaron, what they do in chapter 5 is they head to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and they ask Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh says no. And what is interesting is that Moses and Aaron don't ask for the people to set, be set free, they actually simply ask the king if the Israelites can just go for a three-day journey to worship their God outside of Egypt. That's all they're asking for, like a small little mini vacation, like a long weekend. Let's just take a short little break. But the king is so actually insulted by this, for he feels that the Israelites are lazy. And if you read the passage, it says multiple times, he calls them lazy. Uh, in the NIV, that's the word that's used. And he's like, how, how dare they ask for a break? He feels like they don't work enough. And so in his anger, he actually abuses the Israelite slaves further by setting up an impossible task. He beats the Israelite foremen, which are basically the managers of the people. So you would have had the Israelite slaves, and then you would have had the Israelite foremen, which were like the managers telling the slaves what to do. And the foremen would get their commands from the Egyptians. And these poor foremen are being beaten. And he tells the Israelite foremen that from now on, the Israelites must make bricks without straw. Now, previously, what had been happening is the Israelites were given straw by the Egyptians to make bricks. And now they have to somehow get straw for themselves and they have to complete the same amount of bricks as they did before. And this task is impossible because now the Israelites have to spend time they don't have to find resources that are too difficult to get. So verse 12 says they could only get stubble for straw, which means they could only find small pieces. And they have to achieve the same results each day. Obviously, they can't achieve this, which results 
in the poor foreman being beaten. So the author of Exodus 5 shows just how dire the situation is. And this is quite, I find this quite interesting. It's through the use of the word sword. So in the beginning, Moses said, and you can look in your Bibles there, it says verse 3, Moses talking to Pharaoh here and he says, Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our, the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So pestilence basically means disease or plague. So Moses fears the wrath of God. And he feels that if, if they don't do what God says, then they will be punished. So if the Israelites don't go on this journey outside of Egypt, then they will be punished and disease and the sword will fall on them from the Lord. But at the end of the passage, after the Israelites have been beaten, they say this to Moses. Oh, where did I put? I didn't put a verse there. Sorry, let me just quickly find the verse. Hold on. Uh, verse 21. It says, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, they feel that the sword is no longer in God's hand, but the sword is now in Pharaoh's hand. They no longer fear the wrath or power of God, but they fear Pharaoh. The world has actually been flipped upside down. God no longer holds the power Pharaoh does. And Moses, in the last verse of our passage, actually blames God for this. So, in summary, what's happened? The great and the glorious I Am, who we cannot define, who is above and beyond definition, has set a plan for his people. And when part one happened of the plan, they rejoiced. But when part two happened, they rejected God. They accused him of evil, as Moses does in the last verse. So why, why when part one happens, do they rejoice, and yet when part two happens, they seem to forget the plan? Well, there's one other thing that I find interesting about Moses' journey in the book of Exodus. So in Exodus 3, when God gives Moses his plan, he basically says, Moses, I'm going to do everything. You don't have to lift a finger. I am going to be the one who is doing everything. He kind of makes it feel that at most, Moses, I'm just going to use your lips. But even I'm going to be speaking through you. So there's really not much you're actually going to do. He says a couple of things. So in, in Exodus 3, he says words like this. He says, he says, I will. So if you look through Exodus 3, there's multiple times where God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He says, I will rescue my people. I will soften Pharaoh's heart. I will make a name for myself. He's basically showing that he is going to do everything. And yet, Moses still says, but Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now at this point you're like, Moses, buddy, were you listening? I mean, God said he's going to rescue the Israelites, not you. You're just the mouthpiece. But here's the thing. You see, Moses is so self-consumed that it's like he doesn't even hear God talk about just how powerful he is and how he will do everything. He just immediately thinks about himself. He's like, who am I that, that I should rescue the people? He was likely thinking things like, God, God, I, God, God, uh, hold on, God, I, I can't do this. I mean, I, I, I killed an Egyptian, and, and because of this, both the Israelites and the Egyptians, they, they don't really like me right now. Plus, I, I, I've actually got a speech impediment, which we learned from um, about Moses in Exodus 4, verse 13. Plus, plus Lord, I, I was raised in an Egyptian house. I don't think the Israelites will follow someone like that. And remember, God, I ran away. I ran away from Egypt and from my people. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can save these people. And you can almost picture God in that moment whis whispering, whispering, going, I'm Moses. I'm the one that's going to do all the saving, remember? Now, this kind of self-consumption looks like you and I. When we get told to share the gospel, isn't it? God says in Matthew 28, go and tell the world about me. And we're like, but, but, um, but I, I can't say people, uh, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Or, or yeah, I could tell my friends, but, but they won't listen to me. Or I, I'm not a good enough Christian in, in, in front of them. You know, they're probably not going to take me seriously. Or they will ignore what I have to say and they will judge me. And God's like, hey, I, I'm the one who does the saving, remember? But we become so self-consumed, don't we? I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too stupid. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do in front of people. But we forget that the whole of the Bible is actually God's story of how he saves people, not us. And what, what I've noticed in Exodus is that while the story is of, God, of God setting his people from slavery to Egypt into trusting in God, there's also the story of Moses being set free from his own self-consumption to trusting in God. And in Exodus 5, we see that he is, he's actually still consumed with himself. Because you'd think that since he literally sees God's plan unravel before his eyes. You think that he would trust God more. He sees part one of the plan happen just as God said it would. And it ended up with the Israelites rejoicing. And now he sees part two happening when Pharaoh says no. It's all happening in front of his eyes. You would think that he would trust God. But at the end, when he accuses God of being evil, he says this in verse 22. He says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? And here's the part. Can you see it? Why did you ever send me? In other words, why, why did you put me through this? 
See, we, we, we do exactly the same thing, don't we? You know, we'll read our Bible and we'll see in God's plan for us that it includes suffering. Like we'll see it in James 1, we'll see it in 1 Peter 1, where it says that Christians will endure suffering. We, we see it in Jesus' words, where Jesus says that whoever follows me must take up his cross. We know that being a Christian hurts, yet when, when, when good times happen for us, we'll praise God. Because we know from his word that he blesses his people. We're like the Israelites following part one. We're okay with that part. God blesses us. We praise him. Hallelujah. But when things get rough, we're like, God, why? It's like we forget that part of God's plan for his people was that we would go through trials. And especially in the hectic suffering, when it feels like the power of God, the sword of God, has been put into the hands of our suffering, you and I, and when we feel like we're in an impossible situation, we get angry and we stop trusting in God. We might even call him evil. And it's not like we don't know what the Bible says. We know it. It's just that what happens is that God's word gets pushed to the back of our mind and what comes to the forefront is me. Why am I going through this? How will I ever get through this? How am I supposed to cope? What am I supposed to do? God, how could you ever let something happen to me? Why did you choose me, God? What I find interesting about suffering is that often people will say that they grow closer to God, but really what happens is they spend tons of time praying to God, but their prayers are all about themselves. And not once do they actually turn to God's word to see who God really is. Not once do they speak to a Christian friend which God could use to speak his word into their lives. Instead, they shout out to God and they cut off all the avenues that he uses to speak truth into their lives. In the end, they don't really grow in God. It's not wrong to have prayer sessions like this where you are calling out to God and you're sharing your trials, but if you cut off church and you cut off reading God's word, you can't expect him to speak into your situation. So I just want to, I want to finish off with, with just saying to you that we've got to learn from Moses. Moses is going through this hectic adventure where he is coming out of slavery to himself. Because his life is all about himself. And he's coming to grips with the fact that God is going to deliver him to worship God. I don't know where you're at. But I want you to look at your own life and say, and ask yourself, who is the most important in my life, me or God? And then I want you to challenge yourself to do things like putting God's word first, putting God's church first especially in the midst of intense trials, which I know you're all facing because exams are coming up. So I'm going to pray for us quickly.
Father God, I do thank you for your book of Exodus. I do thank you that it teaches us a lot of strong truth. I pray, Lord, that you will use this book to speak into our lives. I pray, Lord, that we won't be the people who ignore your plan, especially when it gets tough. I pray, Lord, that we'll continue to trust in you, even when things get difficult. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, everybody.